Propagating the Storm, Episode 5 Making Money Babies. I'm Anna Knight, a personal development coach and seasoned survivor of life storms. You can find me online at annanightcoach.com or over in my Facebook community, Port in the Storm. On this podcast, I speak to women and non-binary people about their real lives, their journeys to where they are now, and the big issues that they want to see change in the world. While I'm not going to turn down Serena Williams if she messages me, the people that I speak to aren't necessarily famous, but they've all brought new thinking and new inspiration into my life. Today, I'm talking to Dr. Nikki Ramsgill, the female money doctor. Nikki has over 10 years experience as an NHS doctor and women's health specialist. And during that time, she saw the impact poor money management skills had on the mental health of her patients. She believes that we can't be truly healthy while we've got a money nightmare going on in the background. As you'll hear from Nikki, quite often we don't just see money as a resource like time and energy. We create stories about what money means to us. And that affects how we act with our money. I'm going to be honest, it used to be a really uncomfortable topic for me, and I had a lot of these stories. I told myself I was bad at money, that my ex was the responsible one, that if I left my marriage, I was going to be penniless forever, that I could never get myself out of debt. Loads and loads of stories, but none of them were true. I've been able to create some big shifts in my thinking, partly thanks to Dr. Nikki. So let's hear from her what we can do to change our money stories for good. Nikki, thanks for joining us today. Oh, hi, Anna. Thank you so much. I've been really looking forward to this one. Like, it feels like there's a lot of juicy things to talk about here. Yeah, it's a good topic. Yeah. <laughs> Can we start with you telling us just a little bit about yourself? Okay, so I'm Dr. Nikki. So I am actually a medical doctor. I started life working in obstetrics and gynaecology and then took a, a, some time out and became a GP. And in that sort of transition period between leaving obstetrics and gynaecology and becoming a GP, I had this like epiphany, I guess, of my money situation and how bad it was and how much I'd been overspending and doing a lot of it because of not feeling good enough, adequate, but sort of assuming that as a doctor, I'd be fine. So when I started working on my own money situation, I then started to notice it in my patients, like their problems, their money stress, their health issues around money, as well as my colleagues. And I couldn't not see it anymore. Mm-hmm. So I thought, you know what, I need to share this. Um, so I started my own blog called The Female Money Doctor. And I literally just grew it from there. And here I am today. And that's my main focus now. Wow. So it started as quite a personal journey then. Yeah, I think I'd made a lot of mistakes with money in the past, as we all have. And I had made those mistakes out to be more than they were. You know, when we make money mistakes, I think we sort of turn into a bit of a disaster and we berate ourselves about it and we think we're awful and useless and we say all horrible things to ourselves. But actually, it's just lack of education. That's Mm -hmm. all it is. And once you get the education and you get yourself a system up and running and you put the conscious effort and awareness into it, 
those stresses, those emotions, those worries evaporate. Mm. I really relate to what you're saying there about it's it's what you tell yourself about it that can sometimes be the problem. I'm useless at money. I can't do this. Like I know I have those thoughts going on quite a lot in terms of money that I don't necessarily have in other areas of my life as much anymore. Do you have a sense of why these money stories are so powerful? It's the same with anything that we do in, in adulthood. We learn it as kids. So there's some studies that show that we soak up so much information up to sort of the age of seven. I mean, money issues can impact us anywhere along our timeline, but particularly as children. So if you had a mum or a dad that was bad with money or had a particular attitude around money, that's more likely going to have rubbed off on you or you might have rebelled against it. So in my situation, my mum was very, very frugal, very careful with money because she'd been in debt in the past and she never wanted to do that again. Whereas I looked at her and thought, oh, that's really boring. Like She doesn't go out, she doesn't do anything. You know, to, in my mind, money was to be enjoyed. So I kind of rebelled against her frugality, if you like. But then there was other things around my dad's not being particularly good with money. So I think I probably modelled a lot of it on him. So, so it's powerful because it's what we learn as children and it's what we take on subconsciously as what the right thing is. It's, this is how you manage money. And then there's other things like shame and guilt and anger and just wanting to bury yourself you know, bury your head underneath the sand, that kind of stuff. All of these things are all powerful emotions that we take on when things happen that go against what we think is good with money. And I'm sort of doing the quote marks around that. <laughs> mm-hmm. So when you had, you described that moment where there was a personal realisation about your own money situation, was it triggered by something or was it a more conscious, I'm going to look at money right now? It was... I had breathing space. I think that's the most important thing for me because working as a doctor, I'd literally been working nonstop since I was 18 years old through medical school, straight into a job, straight into a specialty career. So I had no time to sit and think and look around me and go, what the hell are you doing with your life? So I had time out. I was given a year off and I went traveling, did a bit of like local work and stuff on the side. And when I had that time off, I really had time to think. And that's when I looked at my money and thought, hang on a second, you're traveling, but look at this debt you've got. Look at this credit card you've got. Look at this loan you've got. And it all started to dawn on me that I was in a lot worse situation than I had realized, which is crazy because you think that you know what you're doing, but actually, unless you physically track it and you have some way of recording that, you don't really know. And certainly I didn't because I had quite a lot of debt going on in all different places. So once I'd come back from my trip, I just, I vowed never to be in that situation again because I wanted to have that life of freedom. I wanted to go back traveling again. I wanted to have those nice times. And if I had to work every single hour of every single day to do that, it wasn't going to be a life for me. So that was it. It was that I'm going to change things and it had to happen. Mm-hmm. And so is that one of the starting places you'd recommend for anyone out there who is feeling really unsure about their money of like taking that breathing space and actually writing everything down? Yeah, writing stuff down actually makes it real. You have to shine a light on something that you want to change. So if you are looking at your money and thinking, I have no idea what's going on, The most important thing to do is sit down with a piece of paper and work out what have you got coming in. It might be simple if you've got a job and you've got one salary, but it might not be so simple if you've got a business and you're working and doing a lot of different things. But sit down and work out what have you got coming in and what have you got going out. If you've got multiple debts, list those all out. You know, we love doing the bullet journal thing Mm -hmm. of our goals and aspirations and all the things we want to do. But actually, you can do exactly the same thing with debt. Just list it all out. Who do you owe it to? How much is it? 
you know, what are the interest rates on it? And then set up something like the, the debt snowball method where you can start with, you know, your smallest debt, get that paid off quick and first. Once that's paid off, then you pay off the next one and then the next one. And as you're going along, the money that you were using on all of these debts is snowballing into a bigger amount. So you're paying off your debt faster and faster with time. But you have to sit down and do it. You do have to have that breathing space. And you can't just blame, I've got no time for this, I've got no time for that. Because you make time for Netflix or you'll make time for your hobby that you do or you'll make time for something nice that you want to do for somebody. But you've got to do it for yourself. It's a self-care thing. Mm. And that's something I talk to the people I coach quite a lot about. Self-care isn't always bubble baths and massages and manicures. Mm. Like Sometimes mm. it is sitting down and taking a long, hard look at where you actually are and where you want to be and putting those steps into place. Do you think people have more resistance to doing that with money than they would with how they spend their time or their career? Yes, because of what I said about when you were younger and all of this imprinting that you've had as a kid or messages that you received growing up of how you manage money and things like that we attach so much emotion to money like money shouldn't be like that it should just be a tool that you know like your mobile phone you don't have any particular feelings towards your mobile phone okay we'd all be a little bit lost without it in the same way you'd be lost without any money i don't certainly look at my phone and go oh my god i feel so guilty because i haven't touched my phone today you know i don't do stuff like that mm-hmm. that's how money should be it shouldn't be there should be no guilt shame anger resentment nothing it should just be a this is money Mm. that's it so how do you help people get to that state then like because i know personally i've carried around a lot of those quite uncomfortable emotions around money Mm. is there a formula that you apply or how do we confront some of that so one of my favorite things that i'm doing at the moment is something called the sacred money archetypes that looks at eight personalities that we all have within us but the top three that we come out as are the ones that have the most impact on how we do money. It's In fact, it's how we do everything in life. So one of my favourite things at the moment is to use those and get people to find out what their archetypes are and then from there decide, okay, so I'm a connector or I'm a romantic and therefore I know this about myself and when I start doing my money stuff, this might come up for me, so this is how I'm going to get round it. So it's about applying the practicalities of money to your own unique situation. So there's no one size fits all. When I started out, I used a spreadsheet and kind of thought that everybody would get spreadsheets. Not everybody gets spreadsheets. (laughs) They don't. Some people like a pen and paper, and that's cool. Some people prefer to use some kind of app system on their phone. So I get people to start there, and then that shines a light on, oh, I do that because I whatever I am this yeah Mm. well that sounds like such a helpful framework for not just understanding where you're at but then when you're going on that journey you've got this might come up you can always do a little bit of advanced planning yeah yeah exactly so for example a nurturer so a nurturer is somebody who really cares about their family their friends they don't necessarily have to have children if they're a business owner for example they might give a lot of their time away so they don't stick to boundaries they don't chase invoices they don't like asking for money they feel really shy and apprehensive about asking people for money so if you know that about yourself in advance that's when you can then start putting things in place you know you can have automatic invoicing when i first started out i had like a, a false persona that would chase people for money so it wasn't <laughs> me it was like another person now i'm not so worried about it but mm-hmm. i'm more respectful of my time now but also what i've come to realize is that i have to be respectful of other people's time just because i happen to go over over the hour or whatever doesn't mean the other person can as well mm-hmm. so actually you might be doing somebody more of a disservice 
and making you look less professional by giving too much of your time away. It's all just a shift in perspective. So that's an example that I would give. Oh, yeah, that's a really strong one. Like, as you were talking, there was definitely a lot there I could resonate with. But I loved how some of the solutions were so creative as well. Like, it would have never occurred to me to create that persona, but actually... (laughs) It sounds like that's what it takes is once you understand your sacred money archetype, it takes a little bit of out of the box thinking then to apply that knowledge. Yeah, each archetype has got their own unique characteristics. There is not a good or a bad archetype. All of them have got their strengths and all of them have got their challenges. And the problem is, is if we're not mindful of that, we spend a lot more of our time in our challenge than we do in our positivity. Mm-hmm. And then that makes life hard for us because we might be doing something that goes against our natural grain. So my top archetype is a maverick. So mavericks tend to they're full on, take action. They jump from one thing to another thing. They don't mind taking risks. Like I suspect a lot of entrepreneurs are mavericks because that just to me, that just explains what an entrepreneur is. But on the shadow side of it, I can take risks that risk too much. So put myself in financial jeopardy. I sort of don't necessarily bed into something before I want to go and look at something else. It's a bit like that distracted squirrel, you know, in o- is it over the hedge, that film, you know, mm. where you're just like running around all over the place. So because I now I'm aware of that, and I'm aware of my tendencies to take risks, I am working on building recurring revenue streams in my business to make sure that if I do want to take a risk and do something that's big and audacious, I've still got that recurrent money coming in so that I've got that platform to work from. Whereas if I was constantly up and down, up and down my bank account all the time, it wouldn't be very calming and confident Mm -hmm. building for myself, would it? It would make me very anxious. Brilliant. So with the work you do now, you're helping other women get control over their money. Mm. How many women are you helping at the moment? Like what kind of scale are we talking? So I'm still relatively new in business. So just done my three years so I'm now going into year four I'm in the hundreds at the moment I'm not going to be in the thousands at the moment maybe another couple of years I will be but but certainly there have been hundreds of women that have come through either my membership or my investing course or that are just in my free Facebook group that are getting value just from being in there as well and being surrounded by other women that are thinking and feeling in the same way as them yeah and it strikes me as you were saying that I am a member of your free Facebook group. (laughs) And one of the things that I really value in there is actually just having those open conversations that for me, money's always felt like this kind of, you don't talk about it. It's really Mm. uncomfortable to talk about. Having that modeled to me of just other people just talking about money and in those incomings and outgoings and quite a neutral way. That for me was quite revolutionary. Oh, that's that's really good to know. And that's exactly how I want the group to be. So I don't like people coming into the group that have got aggressive or if they've got very complicated questionings. and Because that's I'm not a financial advisor, so I'm not going to sit there and answer people's really detailed financial questions. But what I think is lacking in some groups that talk about money is this, how do you do it? Actually, what do you do? you know what I'm doing is this okay what app can I use it's about just finding people that might understand and might Mm -hmm. get the answer as well so yeah I'm all about being relaxed and chilled and and often bring a glass of wine to my sessions you know money should be like that it shouldn't be stressful Mm, yeah I love that just like turning up on a live with a glass of wine just sets a completely different tone for a (laughs) chat about money doesn't it yeah that's why I do it I mean I love wine but it's not like I'm going in there to make people feel uncomfortable or serious it's not about that it's about making it part of your everyday life and being comfortable with it Mm -hmm. because my my ultimate mission is that 
the more women I've got that are improving their money situations means that they can do their thing in the world if that's build a business or leave their job or whatever but also to improve their lives as older ladies you know I've seen so many people in my GP life with no money they get to retirement and they're relying on state benefits and it's not very much money at all it's a miserable existence and you're having to rely on council putting you into nursing homes which are not very nice sometimes but then it's more than that as well it's like well how can you influence your family and make sure that your kids are set up and you know it's leaving that legacy behind so it's there's so much more that women will do with money if they have it Mm-hmm. Because they are naturally giving to their surrounding location, to their family, to the world. So, yeah, okay. that's why it's important. And that's really interesting then. So do you think this lack of money education is actually impacting like on the health of these older women as they're reaching the time when they're needing more support? Like you say, like mm. going into council nursing homes. Is there a link between that, do you think? Well, as we get older, obviously, we take on more and more disability. So some people get through their whole life and they they seem fine. Other people seem to catch everything going. Um, so you become more disabled as you get older. Women live longer than men. So we, on average, I think in this country at the moment, it's about four years longer or something like that. If you don't have any money for those remaining four years, then yeah, I definitely think that is going to have an impact. Because if you can't go out and do anything, then the loneliness comes in, all that kind of stuff. You have got support out there. But it's few and far between. It's not necessarily in your area. It might be somewhere else. They might cut funding. There was a lunch club in an area not far from me that was really good. You know, you had these people volunteering their time, making lunch for the older people in that village. And then the funding got cut and it just disbanded. And suddenly all of this support that was being given is no longer there anymore. Whereas I think if you've got the money behind you and the wealth, you can actually then make your own luck, can't you? You can mm. make your own social support. You can do all these things. Not necessarily. I know there will be some people that will end up being lonely no matter what they do. But I think it gives you more options. It gives you choice. If you've got no money sat in the bank, you just you have no choice. You have to sit tight and be subjected to whatever's going on around you. And that's what I don't want for people. Yeah, I'd never kind of considered this aspect of it before but it's like you say the choice is actually something that when you're in debt it feels like there's not much choice in Mm. what you can do and I sometimes wonder if that then leads to questionable decision making because when you don't feel like you've got choice you can then take any chance you can get even whether it's a, a helpful one or unhelpful one yeah and it has been shown that when people are stressed with money they cannot make decisions that are positive choices because they are so stressed with what's going on. It actually lowers your IQ. Not not to say people become stupid, that's not the case. It's just that you're in survival mode. Mm-hmm. Or when you're in survival mode, you're focused on how do I survive this month rather than thriving and being able to do all those amazing things you want to do. So when you make questionable choices, and I can say this because I have done it, it makes things worse for yourself. So as an example, when I was first looking at doing some more work around my money, I came across a woman who was selling property courses. And I was so stressed with money at that point that I grabbed onto the nearest thing that I thought was going to get me money very quickly. And that's what she promised. I've learned so much from it. I'm not going to say that it wasn't good knowledge because it was but the amount of money that it cost me was not worth it. And I think it capitalised on my emotion at the time. And that's why I went for it, as opposed to it being a a logical decision-making process. 
in that moment where it was playing on the emotions of it, not necessarily the logical side of it. I've seen quite a lot that idea of someone promising a quick turnaround and because you're so fearful and feeling so trapped by money it actually can then lead you into further challenges Mm. so one of the things that I I really love in your Facebook group is your debt-free Fridays where (laughs) you've kind of that snowball you've got the ball rolling for so many women could you tell us a little bit more about what happens on debt-free Fridays I love Debt Free Fridays. It's my favourite day of the month. Well, I've got multiple favourite days, but that's a really good one. So what happens is I ask people to send me either anonymously or in the comments the amount of money they've paid towards their debt. It doesn't have to be a complete payoff. It's just like partial payments, whatever they've made that month. And then I total it all together. And then the week afterwards, I announce the total. I've been doing it now for about, I think it's nearly two years. I think it's about 20 months at the moment. And I've got over half a million now paid off of debt collectively as a group I mean it's just incredible when you see that number and you think wow we've done that that's really cool yeah I can't wait to get to a million I'm hoping that we're going to get to a million even faster yeah it's like you say it snowballs doesn't it so yeah it does it absolutely does and and the more people that join in obviously the higher it goes but it's about that consciousness and and being celebratory when it comes to paying off debt rather Mm -hmm. than this kind of shame filled thing it's like no celebrate it be cool you know it's good enjoy it I think that's what I love about those posts so much is like people saying oh it's not much but I've done this and everyone being like you've done that that's amazing like yeah it's taking that stigma out of having debt and empowering it in terms of look what you've done to fix the situation yeah exactly and I think some people worry about getting help for stuff like that because they're really embarrassed about it I know that feeling because I've been in that feeling myself and I still carry debt it's not like I'm debt free right now but I will be debt free in the next 18 months or so but it's about stepping forward and going no I need help with this now and if it's really bad I need to go and see a debt charity to get help with it because if it's so bad that you can't heat your house put food on the table all that stuff then you absolutely need to get help with it if it's not then you know being in the group is enough because you're getting that support as you go along fab so the other thing that I wanted to talk to you about today is investing and I have to admit, when I saw your um, your investment course and things, I was thinking like, oh, investing is for rich people. Like, <laughs> there's no way I'm going to ever be in the position of investing. But I've picked up that you have quite a different outlook on it. So what's your thoughts about investing? So that's a common myth that people think you have to have loads of money to start investing. And it's absolutely not true. Of course, if you want to go and buy yourself a buy-to-let property, you need to have money for a deposit. You know, you can't do it without it. There are ways you can do it without it, apparently, but you have to learn more about that. But in terms of stocks and shares investing, you can start from £25 a month, which, if you think about it, is probably the cost of, what, four coffees a month, something Mm -hmm. like that. And as long as you start early and you're putting it into the right things you can start to build yourself a little pot of money that you can access before you even get to your retirement age if you wanted to. But investing money is not about money that you're going to use in the next five years, 10 years or whatever. It's money you're going to use for your future. So some people worry about losing money. The stock market goes up and down. That's just what it does. It's the nature of the stock market. But if you're leaving your money for 10, 20 plus years, it will grow. 
Mm-hmm. It, that's what it does with time. And it will beat inflation with time as well. Some years it won't necessarily, but other years it will. If you ever look at any stock market growth, the charts and things, you'll see, you know, 20 years ago compared to what they are now, there's a big, big difference. And the problem with having lots of money just sat around doing nothing is that eventually inflation will make it worth less. So if you think about it from looking at the price of a Freddo chocolate bar back in the day when we were kids, they were what, 5p, 10p, something like that. Now they're 25p. Mm-hmm. And that's the same bar, except it's now more expensive. In today's money, that's how much you've got to pay for the same item. Mm-hmm. It's exactly the same as if you had just money sat around in a savings account. In 20 years' time, that £20,000 that you've got saved up now won't be worth £20,000 in the future. It might be worth fifteen or thirteen. Mm-hmm. So investing is key to building your wealth in addition to all the other stuff. So it's not like it's not in place of savings. You've got to have savings. It's not in place of budgeting. You've got to have a budget. It's for your future. Your future self is going to need that money. Would you recommend that people start investing while still paying off debt or would you get the debt sorted first? It depends on the situation. So if you are somebody that's got so much debt that you absolutely cannot afford to heat your house, put food on the table, you really should be seeing a debt charity before you do absolutely anything. But if you are somebody that can afford all the minimum payments, you've got the debt snowball in place, you can actually go and do, and you've got some money left over, then yes, you can start investing at the same time. And the the beauty of it is that if you're putting in small amounts into your investing pot as you go along, you're learning. So it means that when you pay off your debt, you can then start putting your debt money into your investments because you won't miss it. You're not missing the debt money because you're already paying it off of debt. So once your debt's paid off, you can then start putting into your investing account, which you're learning as you're going along because you're now working out, okay, this is what I need to do and this is what I need to put into this one and this is this company I can use in that account. You're learning. So it means that once you've paid everything off, you're not then going to be tempted to then spend it on other stuff because you've got the money to put into investments. And it's really exciting when you see it grow. Mm-hmm. You know, investing is just a rinse and repeat process. It's like once you've got it set up, you just let it go. It makes you feel so good when you see it and you go, I've made that. I've grown that. And I'm paying off debt at the same time. It's just an awesome feeling. It strikes me as you saying it. I was talking to my mum this morning and she was saying that her savings is getting her 0.1% interest. Mm -hmm. And you can see that comparing that, like obviously she needs her pot of savings, but the money isn't growing. It's not doing anything there. No. So you can really see that contrast there. Yeah. Over time, it is losing money as well. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's not like, you know, you throw everything into your investment account and that's it because that's risky. You don't do that. You have your pot of money that you save, your rainy day fund, that kind of thing. And then your investments you slowly draw from with time. So once you get to retirement, you can kind of top your pension up with it and things like that. But you have to have that in place earlier rather than later because it means you don't have to put as much money in as you're younger. Mm-hmm. It's That works through a process of compound interest, which means that every year your money's making money on itself. And I call it money making money babies. It's literally money makes a baby, baby grows up, makes another baby, baby grows up. You know, it's that yeah. process. But you have to start early as much as you can. You can start anytime. I'm not going to say that if you're retired, you can't do it because you absolutely can. But the earlier you start, the younger you start, the better. I wish I'd known this when I was 18 years old. Mm -hmm. Honestly, I I would have loved to have started investing at that age. Yeah, I often think I've got a niece who's in her teens at the moment and thinking like getting her to know this stuff is really important because if you know it when Mm -hmm. you're younger, you can then kind of move forward from this position of power without going through some of these moments of, oh my God, I don't know what my money is doing it is really great to empower kids and teenagers about this stuff 
Yeah, absolutely. And it's difficult because obviously a lot of the time they don't want to listen to their parents anyway. (laughs) But I think if we're instilling these principles of saving 10% of any money you got coming in, putting some money towards a, a giving thing like a charity pot or something like that, and then having the rest of it to spend. And then as they're getting older, introducing the concept of, right, okay, now we can start putting a little aside to your investments as well and showing them what investing is and and how it grows with time. There are programs online that you can use to educate kids around stock market investing. And there's um, another one by the guy that wrote Rich Dad Poor Dad, Robert Kiyosaki. And I think he calls it the game of life or something like that. There's a game that he's got. And it's a really good game to teach kids and adults how to invest and why investing is important. So yeah, look up Robert Kiyosaki. Brilliant. So if listeners are listening to this and thinking, wow, I really need Dr. Nikki's help, where can they find (laughs) you? So you mentioned the Facebook group. Everyone is welcome in my Facebook group. I tend to aim this towards women, if I'm honest, because I resonate really well with women. I've got a health background with women. So for me, it was only natural to progress into that. But there are some men in the group too. If you are a bloke and you're not too sure, come and have a look. If it's too girly for you, you can always leave. (laughs) Um, But then there's also my um, quiz as well, if you'd like to do that. It's on my website, thefemalemoneydoctor.com forward slash SMA dash quiz. And that will give you your breakdown of your archetypes. And it will also give you a short three part video series of your top most archetype. And you can learn a little bit about yourself there. Brilliant. That sounds like a really nice introduction to some of those Mm. concepts yeah it's fun it's good fun well thank you very much for joining us today nikki i know i've learned quite a lot i'm hoping the people out there listening have too oh thank you so much for having me it's been a real pleasure to talk to you Hopefully you found some interesting food for thought listening to that, whatever your relationship is with your money. As Nikki said, if you're experiencing problems with debt, there are charities like Step Change who can give you advice on how to manage your situation. Joining Nikki's Facebook group, Women Working Towards Money Freedom, is another great step. I came away from my chat with Nikki thinking a lot about stories. Our stories show up in so many areas of our life, not just with money. It's one of the biggest parts of working with a coach, in my opinion. Coaches hold space for our clients to listen to their own stories and change their patterns by writing a new one. Swapping a belief like, I don't deserve to be loved, for example, into, I am lovable and already loved, can open up your world. So if you're ready to change your stories to leave old unhelpful ones behind, please do get in touch via my website, annanightcoach.com or join us on Facebook in Port in the Storm. Next week, we'll be talking to another doctor, Susanna, about her work. We'll get stuck into the links between traumatic experiences and our physical and mental health. And we'll also be chatting about First You, a project launched earlier in the year which provides wellbeing resources to healthcare staff. Navigating the Storm is hosted by Anna Knight and produced by Anna Knight and Mel Robinson. <laughs>